The Layered Butter Podcast acknowledges the Mississaugas of the credit of the First Nation of the Anishinaabe people on the traditional territory that we are recording on. everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Layered Butter. My name is Rafael Cordero. My name is Jordan Sloggett. And I'm Rodrigo Cockting. And we have a wonderful episode of, uh, lined up for you guys today. Uh, we're going to catch up on everything uh, with the trio, with the three of us, and see what we're watching, what's interesting to us, and uh, what's been uh, clogging, I guess, our um, letterbox boxes over the last couple of weeks. And just before we begin, let's get to a little bit of housekeeping. As always, my friends, we wish that you guys check out our Patreon. Um, uh, we have some cool stuff coming up every week. Um, and every month we have an artist trading card that comes out. So if you guys are patrons or uh, would like to be a patron, just donate a little bit of your uh, hard-earned coffee money into our pockets so we can uh, continue producing wonderful content for you guys. Um, and as always... Wherever you guys listen to Layered Butter, please, please, please rate and subscribe um, uh, and uh, tell us about what what we could do to make it better. If you're tired of Raph, if you're tired of Jordan, or if you're tired of Rod, all of us are willing to hear your criticisms, Rod especially. So send all his mail to him. <laughs> I, I'd like to <laughs> hop in there real quick, actually, and a bit of housekeeping. So thanks to Andrew, who uh, substituted for me last week on the episode. Um, yeah. And so last week I got to listen to the episode instead of be on it because I, I don't listen to episodes that I'm on because I can't stand hearing my own voice. Um, but I did notice that, Raph, you had a bit of a, a microphone oh, no. issue going on last week. Uh, listen, so, buddy. Uh, if any listeners were as frustrated as I was listening to you, feel free to like, you know, oh, give us five stars and then just tell us that. Um, I was going to try to do fair. an impression of, of what Raph sounded like, but it would be just as it would be like. Uh, but then he, it was, it was almost like you were being bleeped. Like you'd get like three words into a sentence and then the it last was, like he, half he would was, get cut off. He was being bleeped. It was very uh, raunchy what you missed out. It was always Listen, like, guys, so what do you think about I'm this off, fucking but- Oscar movie? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> when I go off, I go off. But um, you guys don't see this right now, but I have the call center microphones like uh, across uh, my face, I guess. So maybe that Patreon money can help me. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, thank you for your input, Jordan, uh, my my fellow co host. Anytime. But for, uh, but um, uh, really, you guys, don't forget to rate and subscribe and just uh, let us know if you have trouble hearing me because I'm underwater half the time. <laughs> and check out our website. Um, uh, we have some great articles coming up, movie reviews and uh, up to date information. So don't forget to keep in touch with Layered Butter at LayeredButter.com. So shall we get to it, my friends? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So pre-show time. Um, basketball legend. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar weighs in on three of his most disappointing films of 2021. So just to give a little bit of context, Mr. Kareem uh, Abdul-Jabbar is probably one of the most famous basketball players of all time. I think he's a leading scorer. Uh, He has a record. um, And right now he's actually, well, not him himself, but I guess his character or him uh, uh, portrayal of him is now on HBO. uh, Part of winning time. Um, And I thought it was interesting to see um, his transition after basketball into this, I don't know, Rod, you've described him as like uh, an interesting writer, like he gets into politics and whatnot. What do you know about Kareem? Yeah, I, I was mentioning that in times of like political turmoil, he's always been this very incredible voice. Um, 
he he kind of lives in this intersection of being a man incredibly revered by uh, white people that liked him as an athlete, and he is obviously a black man who's lived the the black experience of the United States of America. And so, in these kind of more divisive years, he's always been a very interesting writer, very very well worth checking out. Yeah. I, I, his uh, recent turn into film critic is new new to me, um, I'm, I, so I wasn't quite familiar with, with his opinion on, on on the movies. But in terms of his writing skills, definitely. Um, I would say perhaps almost better than his M- MBA skills. And that's already Buddy. impressive, right? So it's like, <laughs> you know, what I, mean? like, I almost think of him as a writer now more than the former athlete. I mean, I-, I love that he's keeping busy right after his basketball life. He just didn't kind of potato in the background, but he's been very involved in pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. And um, staying relevant. But uh, the big story, I guess, part of his little... Um, I guess wrap of 2021, he mentioned that three of the films that are nominated for the Oscars, Don't Look Up, Nightmare Alley, and Power of the Dog. He says they're great. They're fantastic. They're they're built with a lot of integrity and artistry. But he was very disappointed about those films. And I I think it just didn't hit it for him. Um, What's your take on these films? And... um, you know, are they as disappointing as you think? I mean, there, we talked about this before with the, uh, with the Oscars having 10 films every, I mean, for best picture. I mean, mm-hmm. do these, is that too many? Is, is, are these films even worth it? Is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's opinion relevant? Uh, Jordan, let's start with you. What do you think, buddy? Uh, everyone's opinion's relevant. Yeah, everyone's opinions are 100% relevant, and that that's fair. I'm happy to read Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's takes. I actually agreed with is Don't Look Up. Uh, being on this list, and I have not seen Nightmare Alley. I haven't heard the greatest uh-huh. things about it, and it's kind of tempered my like desire to see it. Um, and I still do want to see The Power of the Dog. I feel like I've heard a lot more ringing praise of that. Mans has not watched a single movie this season, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have caught up on a few things that we'll get to in the in the main segment of today's episode. But Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. overall, I'd say like it's an interesting. Um, opinion and i think it's nice to see someone who's sharing the ideas that like uh, maybe it's a hasn't been the the most top-notch year for movies and maybe uh the best picture category is a little bit overstuffed with things because they feel like they were important that's my thing about um don't look up it don't look up it wasn't a great movie it's just being nominated because it's an important message that we all have to be on board with. You think? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I feel like a lot of the don't look up clout is like um, Adam McKay, right? And Leonardo DiCaprio and Netflix. Yeah. Right? They have that cast. I feel like it's a bought um, nomination by Ted Sarandos and Adam McKay's apparently loved by the Academy. I mean, he's not bad. I just think that choice to think that the movies that you like or dislike are the movies that should be or shouldn't be nominated. Yes. Yes, it is presumptuous, Rod. It is totally presumptuous. I mean, I don't disagree, <laughs> especially in terms of Don't Look Up. I don't think it, like, it recently won the, the best original screenplay for the, the, Whoa, the, that's the writer's wild. guild. I was going to bring that up. The writer's yeah. guild of, of all ple- people, right? People that should be recognizing good writing. And it's like, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with it necessarily winning that award. But I think like. I'm not here to I, I would say the opposite of what Jordan said. Everyone's opinion is relevant when it comes to, say, like movie stuff. I think everyone's opinion is irrelevant, right? Like my uh, taste in movies is only applicable to myself. Like I bring my own story and perspective to the movie watching experience. And I enjoy things differently than other people would because of that that is what I bring. Right. It's like 
everybody's kind of like their own slumdog millionaire that has gone through their story of their life and things affect you differently because of that. Um, for example, when I watch a Marvel movie, I watch it with like, I'm 35, I think 35. Yeah. And I watch it with at least 30 years of comic book loving passion, right? Like, uh, there are shots in Marvel movies that speak to me in a way that it's like, I remember being eight years old or nine years old and looking at that panel on a piece of paper and never in my wildest dreams being able to imagine that that was going to turn into like something that is moving and like on a huge screen in front of me. Right. And so that's kind of how I feel. It's like I, I respect Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think that he has his perspective on things. He talks about like, for example, in The Power of the Dog, he talks a lot about how this movie um, is about like, say, toxic masculinity and kind of like homophobia. And I think like those are the undertones there. But I don't think it is a movie like if you were to describe that to me, that kind of says more like a boy erased kind of thing, right? Like something that is tackling <laughs> right. like, like right. the power of the dog is is this kind of like sinister uh I like I don't want to spoil it for Jordan because I do want him to see it, but it's like this this sinister mystery that is Undertone. That, that is building yeah. up and that has like this incredible crescendo where you know, people that you thought were in charge maybe end up not being, you know, the person that you maybe thought wasn't in control of the situation ends up being in control of the situation. And so that is like, I'm less interested in what it says about like toxic masculinity and homosexuality, with the exception of that perhaps that the characters that are, you know, like, like both, again, don't want to spoil it for Jordan, but there's a lot of, of, of like, I, I would say kind of challenges your narrative of who you view as a victim and who you don't, right? Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm just uh, my my point is I respect everyone's opinion about this. I just think that your opinion about movies is only directly really applicable to you. I think you you would be so lucky if you're out there and you find a critic who kind of seems aligned to your taste. But even then, you have to allow that there will be movies that you will love that the other person will not. And so when it comes to it, like when we're talking about like this is kind of why the Oscars are ridiculous, right? Because how do you quantify subjectivity? Like, how do you determine that this is the best movie of the year when there's like more than 10 or less than 10 or whatever number amount of movies that for you were the best movie ever? And it's like it goes kind of back to like, say, people that for them, the the, the movie that they love the most was, I don't know, Turning Red or Encanto. Like, is, I don't know why I said it with that semi, semi-English accent. <laughs> Encanto. Like, uh, you know, like, is, is their perception less valid because it doesn't agree with what, like, white male critics determined is the best one? Like, no. I, I, and, and also, their opinion isn't more valid than mine for me, right? Like, it's, you know, just because you liked a movie doesn't make that a universal thing. So, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel always in general about criticism. Like, I, I, I know that I've pitched before that we should have an episode that deals with the concept of film criticism in general. Because I think it is useful in terms of, like, I had never thought about movies in this way. Um, you know, like, I, looking, if you read a, a, an article by a critic and you're like, yeah, in, in this moment, like, especially for me, I never look at movies and take and think about, like, okay, this is where the directors are cutting here or they did, like, a super long take. Unless somebody comments on that, you know, or, like, the very obvious cases, like, Children of Men. That's not how I approach movies. I tend to approach it from like very analytical way of the writing of it and like how the plot has been set up 
and stuff like, you know, is this going to be like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing where they, like, they set this up and are they going to deal with it later? Sure. Like, that's how I approach movies. And I think in, in that sense, I think reading people's film criticism is helpful because it, it opens your perspective to other things. But I don't think you should be you should go to a, like follow critics in a way that you're like, yeah, David Ehrlich likes this movie. I should like this movie. David Ehrlich hates this movie. I should hate this movie <laughs> because that is that reduces like your lived experience and your perspective to just being a simile of somebody else's. And that I, I, I don't think any two people in this world go through the same experience. I, I didn't realize that we were at the hot take I, I, section of this episode. <laughs> uh, thanks, Kareem. Yeah, I was going to say, Rodrigo, I think it sounds like you have a lot to say. That We should definitely do that, that film criticism episode. I think we should do one. Look at that. Um, uh, I want to move on uh, to, I guess, a little bit about the Oscars. Aside from the presenters, Rachel Zegler made headlines over the last couple of weeks here. Um, she did an Instagram post and she said, you know, I, I won't be attending the Oscars. I wasn't invited. I'll be hanging out at home in my boyfriend's flannel. No, no, no. Crying, crying, crying. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days later, um, uh, she was invited. <laughs> I think today, yeah, too. She, got invited. she was invited to be a presenter. And she's like, yay. But in my head, I'm like, really? Like, I don't know. Um, aside, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of diverge and talk about the Oscar presenters. But. I feel like this entire thing, and this was originally going to be my hot take, is Rachel Zegler's entire online presence <laughs> has been really annoying to me, <laughs> especially maybe during this award season. I think even especially the fact that, you know, she had to post that she's not going and she wasn't invited and that's okay. And she hopes to be invited 10 minutes later or like a day later, she gets invited. Um, have you guys been following this fiasco? I don't know if you want. I, I don't, don't know if you want a second uh, hot take rant from oh, me. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I generally agree that celebrities feel entitled somewhat to things that you know the rest and the rest. Like, here's the thing: women, and especially women of color, and Rachel Segler is a Latina woman, often get doors shut on them that white people and white men specifically do not. Now, Rachel Zegler is not no one. The, the, the Disney movie that perhaps is, has the most hype in terms of best picture possibility is West Side Story, of which she is the lead. And she's also signed up to be Snow White, I think, for their upcoming movie. So, And she's in Shazam. Yeah. So she is not like no one for Disney. And Disney has a fair amount of clout in terms of, uh, of stuff that they do. Now, Bob Chapek, who is the second Bob CEO of Walt Disney Company, has <laughs> been Bob. Yeah, his Bob Iger was Bob Iger, it? right? Yeah, Anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob number two. Now he's been like going, like stumbling his way through being a CEO. Like the the, the stuff are, uh, related to the "Don't Say Gay." I don't know if you saw that controversy. Oh, right. Yeah, that was a thing. But one of the things that you can do is have like a fair amount for your talent. I think that is one thing that HBO, the 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 channel, does very very well. People want to work at HBO because HBO treats them really well. Has a good reputation of respecting the art and the artists, right? And Bob has started his tenure, first of all, in like a lawsuit of trying to take money away from Scarlett Johansson and then oh, has yeah. followed that up with really sidelining one of his main stars because trust me, that is not a coincidence. Like he he has a lot of control over who gets invited, who doesn't get invited and so on. Like she's now invited because probably pressure from people like reaching out and saying outside. So, yeah, I, I understand that it's like in the grand scheme of things, like we have Russia destroying Ukraine, like getting invited or not invited to the Oscars is minor. But at the same time, I think like st- being able to stand up 
for yourself and call out uh, an opportunity that is not being given to you that would probably be given to other people were they in your situation if they were a different you know demographic. I think it's fair, like in the sense that you have to speak up. Uh, what do they say? Like a closed mouth doesn't get fed or whatever, you know. So if this is what she wants and this is like the, the route that she wants to go, she, she should be able to speak up. And again, going to the Oscars seems fairly inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But I would like, you know, like my nieces, my sisters, my, the women in my life for whatever opportunities that they they want to be able to say, like, I think I should I think I should I deserve that, you know, and maybe they, they do. Uh, I don't know. This is, a, again, second rant number two of the day. Sorry, I, I want to bring up when you were talking about Bob, two. I start and, and, and you mentioned he was stumbling along. I started thinking about Arrested Development and Lucille, too. <laughs> <laughs> the vertigo. I don't know. This, yeah, the vertigo. Right. But anyway, Jordan, have you been following this crazy um Oscar uh, in, invite uh, like inv- invitation. I have not. Sorry, and I reject the <laughs> idea that care. it's crazy. <laughs> I, I respect what like Rodrigo what Rodrigo just had to say about like, um, and I was sort of thinking in uh, Raf that like it is some of the the knee jerk like oh she's just being you know um, causing a stir. Years old. There's, there's got to be some sexism that's like influencing. The way we're I just horrible. <laughs> I think also I'm not entirely sure. I, I do think just to add the extra context that I don't think she originally said that she wasn't invited. I think it was in reply to a comment that somebody like she posted something and somebody in a comment to say like asked her like Bob, are you going? And then she yeah. said I wasn't invited. I think. Anyways, Jordan, please continue. Bruh. Well, I also just don't know how much of this is uh, her Rachel like actually caring or giving like you know how much of this is just people writing news articles and now people talking on podcasts about headlines that have been written mm. just for the sake of like. First off, can you believe that this person has been wronged? And then the flip side is, can you believe that people care about this thing? And it's like the perfect headlines that just generate that. Like both sides, right. you either get yeah, like yeah. comments and views or comments and views, whether they're done angrily or whether they're done like with, uh, I don't know, just people, if you engage with something and you share something and you're like, I can't believe that people care about this. It's like, yeah, well, you're, you're feeding the machine, you're feeding the beast. Mm-hmm. So as are we by talking about this. So, yeah. But, I feel like Jordan at this point would be happy to be uninvited from his own house of watching the Oscars. <laughs> like his, his level of interest in the Oscars uh, seems to be on average pretty low, but I think this year particularly even lower. I mean, there's some years I, I get into it and I am going to watch like I'll watch the, the I don't know. You better. There's just there's so I mean, I will watch <laughs> it because we're going to do an episode about it afterwards. But <laughs> it's just a lot of uh, it's a lot of buildup for like I think I said this in a previous episode. It's an industry award show. It should be pretty much boring to people. Like the only reason it's interesting is to us is because like it's we famous people. That's what I mean. Like we invented cameras and yeah. we put like, we put them in a room and we can watch these movie stars sure. celebrate yeah. each other. But like at the end of the day, it's an industry award show and they're just celebrating their industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. No, I. I- I think that's fair. I mean, I don't agree, but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I want to uh, go through some of the presenters, but I, I, I think I'll save it for the main show. But I wanted to, uh, to uh, go through our last little uh, pre-show, which is Chris Duckman. Chris Duckman is a, um, a fairly, I guess, I, I want to say famous or prominent YouTuber. Um, he does a lot of film reviews, right? And he's an aspiring filmmaker. And he has just recently um, crowdfunded his first, I think his second film, actually. I think this is his first feature film. He crowdfunded some um, shorts previous to this. 
Yeah. So the, I think he raised, let me just pull it up. Almost here. nine. It's over 900,000 Canadian, I believe. Or sorry, the article you linked was an American and it was like it had hit the goal yeah. of 750 USD. So 40,000 USD, 900,000 Canadian. It's Shel- Shelby Oaks, which is now the most funded horror film project on Kickstarter just a few weeks into its campaign. Um, it is found footage and it is going to be directed by Chris. I Stuckman. will also correct um, that the article called it found footage and then people in the comments were correcting it. And if you look at the Kickstarter page, it, I think it was originally pitched as a, a found footage, but it's no longer a found footage. I think it's just a, like a horror movie. Just in case any Chris Duckman heads want to berate us and <laughs> say that we got it wrong and are spreading misinformation. I mean, I, I I wanted to bring up this story because I think it's interesting about um, films now. I mean, especially in the age of Every, anyone can make a film, right? I mean, he could do a low budget feature. You could shoot on your iPhone. I mean, Soderbergh does that stuff, right? But um, uh, we have that community. Um, uh, I guess that communal aspect of having a film or uh, going behind someone that's, you know, relatively semi-famous or semi uh, in the public eye for people to, you know, help and support. That's a lot of money to f- uh, fund the first major feature. Right. Um, Jordan, have you been a, you're a Chris Stuckman head. What's your take on this? Uh, I have, I don't want to place myself as a fanboy of Chris Stuckman. I have been watching his stuff on YouTube for a long time now. I wish I, I'm looking at his YouTube page now. I wish YouTube had like a stat that says like you have been subscribed for however long. Cause it's probably years, yeah. been like 10 years for Chris Stuckman. Like he was one of the first reviewers that I didn't find him super offensive. He put out reviews quickly after things. I, he's never really been a, a reviewer for me that I can hundred percent know. Um, or I, not that I don't know. We were talking this about this before, but there's some reviewers that their taste aligns with your taste and you can know if they like something, you'll probably like it. Chris Duckman, I find it harder to tell. Um, I don't, I appreciate him having more of a everyman take on film reviews, which a lot of YouTubers mm-hmm. do. They're not trying to be, um, a critic. Like a full blown. Well, you know, they are trying to be a critic, but they're just trying to come at it from more of like a, you know, their fan base is more. I'm enjoying the movie. Yeah. And their fan base is more people who like are everyday people. Uh, And this will save more of this, I guess, for our film criticism discussion. But I think classic film criticism is like, we are talking about art and film. And Chris Duckman's a little bit more like, I'm making a video for people who are interested in this and to tell you whether you should check it out or not. Uh, And I don't know. His videos are are fine. I, I, I'll maybe check out a feature film of his if it, it sounds like he's done a good job. It'll be interesting to, if it sounds like so you'll have to wait for the reviews. <laughs> I'll wait for his own review of his film. And if he gives it more than like a B or a B plus, I'll check it out. Yeah. Rod, what's your take on, I guess this communal culture of, you know, um, supporting X person to make a movie, but they're already kind of a celebrity. Are you down for that? Do you think it's fair? Do you think it's unfair? No, I, I love the idea of democratizing uh, the ability to create movies. I, I think I mentioned this to you in a previous episode, perhaps a season one episode, that I think uh, something like TikTok has me incredibly excited for what the future of filmmaking will end up being. Because all of a sudden, everybody uh, has on their phone like recording equipment, editing software, uh, an ability to find an audience. And so it's going to, I think, at least my, 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 my theory, my hope is that it's going to generate a level of innovation that we haven't seen in a long, long time, right? Like before, for a long time, and this is also kind of why the reason why 
you know, every now and then we'll get like best director nominations and four of them are men, white men. One of them is a white woman or four of them are white men. One of them is a black man or four, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's because it's there's a lot of barriers and a lot of doors that need to be open for you to be able to get a shot to do this. And so anything that allows people to take that control into their own hands, I'm a big fan. I'm a big uh, a fan of, of anything like that. Right. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, too, that the Cannes Film Festival is partnering with TikTok and uh, it's twofold kind of like one of the things that they're going to allow TikTok to kind of be there and do a lot of behind the scenes little TikTok uh, videos for that is not typically represented because they're very strict about their red carpet. But uh, at the same time, kind of like in, in relation to their presence there, TikTok has launched uh, our, their hashtag TikTok short film, which is going to be like a global competition for the creators on their platform to share short films on on TikTok. Now, obviously, time limits were talking a lot shorter than what most people would consider a short film, I think. But it's interesting. And I think uh, anything that kind of takes away the barriers is good news. Uh, I'm I'm not very precious. I, you know, like I think as an old cynical person, I'm supposed to be like, you know, fuck these teens and their TikTok. But I'm the opposite of that. I think I'm so incredibly excited to see what they will do when they when they are kind of like at their next step, right? Like, you know, I think YouTube and Bo Burnham gave us something like inside. I think like in 10 years or so, we're going to see a lot more of these people that came from like native social media platforms where they could share their content and then turning it into like the ideas and stuff that affects them. I wonder how many, because I 100% agree that like TikTok is, I mean, not just TikTok, but like, you know, social media and that in general is where we're seeing the coolest new ideas, the singular voices. I just wonder if they will actually move to film. Obviously some will, some will be given deals, but some of them might just see film as like a step in the previous, like into the previous century. It doesn't matter to them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like why would I spend a year of my life making one movie when I can make a thousand or not a thousand, but I can make a hundred TikToks. I was going to say a thousand TikToks, like a hundred TikToks in that time. And like each one is like a funnel, you know, like I think the majority probably will land where you're saying that it's like my art isn't the two hour, three hour epic. My art is like the, the two minute, one minute, 60 second, 30 second TikTok. But I think some of them will be like, I love this. What if I could do like Spider-Man that I also love watching in my, you know, I I think you will funnel out some people that will be both of those things that that are good at, they were good at the TikTok stuff, but, and then also want to explore like a longer art form. So, I mean, this whole Kickstarter thing is really cool. I guess video games have been doing this for uh, like probably over a decade Mm -hmm. now. Board Um, games too. I literally have a a fucking addiction issue with backing board games on Kickstarter. Mr. Perucho, uh, sorry, Andrew Perucho has bought like... No, he doesn't even buy them anymore. He sends me the link because he knows I will back them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he bought a drone. I don't know what ever happened to it. He got it. It, it was super late. His latest thing that he backed, uh, I don't know why I'm outing his, his back to Kickstarter projects, but it's like a, a birdhouse <laughs> that has a camera in it. So it connects to like your smart house stuff. And so basically you fill it with seed and so on. And then all these different kind of birds come in. And because it has like inter- internet connectivity, it will be able to identify the bird and let you know it's like, hey, there's a cardinal right now or blah, blah, blah. Okay, I have gotten this ad on my Instagram and I've gone down the path of like almost buying this thing. Yeah, Andrew Perucha is going to have one. So you can wait till he gets it and then he can let us know. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even looking at Kickstarter's website, they have a whole section for film, mm-hmm. um, arts, comics, design, tech, film, mm-hmm, food mm-hmm. and craft, games, music, publishing. I think it's cool. I haven't actually, I've never supported a, a film on Kickstarter. You know, what was a, a film adjacent Kickstarter project that failed? Leered Butter. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going to ask, like, are there any? So if you just look at successful Kickstarter film projects and how they did, uh, some of which include Anomalisa, The Babadook. But I also. Oh, shit, really? I yeah. don't know some of these films. But I, I feel like they've got names attached. Isn't like Charlie Kaufman. But maybe sometimes that's like the seed that kind of starts to like once you have momentum, it's easier to bring in other stuff, right? Like it's kind of like what uh, we were talking about last week with uh, the festival. That it's like if it's hard when you have no one and you have nothing to get any eyes on you. But then like when you start building that up, it becomes easier and easier. And so maybe a successful Kickstarter is like the first step and then being able to secure additional funds and growing the project even bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even with like. Uh, I mean, especially something as weird as like Anomalisa, that movie's weird and can have a very small audience and it's expensive to make. It's like it, you'd literally stop motion, like probably one of the most expensive movies. Yeah. Like second per second that you could try to create. But yeah, I, I guess it's interesting to see, um, you know, uh, where I guess modern filmmaking goes, whether it's Kickstarter, whether it's TikTok. I don't know. I, I wanted to add one more thing that it would be really cool if uh, supporting movies like this led to, um, like, you know, you. I'm almost thinking of a system where like you find out about a movie they're going to make and you could buy the ticket now for $5 or they release like the trailer. And then at that point you could buy the ticket for like eight bucks. And like, you know what I mean? Like almost um, a discounted option. I, I mean, I haven't backed a film project, but presumably they would do something similar to that and that you would do an amount. And I would imagine like, cause they do tiered rewards. I don't know how familiar you are. And I would imagine that one of them has to be like a link to be able to download this movie and watch it, which is obviously not a movie theater uh, ticket, but equivalent, right? Like that, you know, for for your support, you've already Stream. purchased the yeah. ability to be able to see it. Mm -hmm. You get like, you know, the, the Blu-ray mm -hmm. order already done in that. You're on the credits. You get, I don't know. Yeah, I get it. Anyway, folks, um, we'll, uh, after the break, we will get to what we're watching and uh, what's keeping us interested. We'll be right back. The Layered Butter Podcast is brought to you by another podcast. That's right. Your podcast is in another castle is everyone's favorite video game podcast, brand new podcast, uh, IGN Who, to be honest. Every week, join Jordan, Diego, and yours truly in a weekly adventure where we tackle the latest video game stories, answer all the important questions, and have some fun chatting with friends. No? Find your podcast is in another castle on all your favorite podcast places, and uh, make sure to check them out on social media at another castle CA. We're back. So this is a little catch-up episode. Uh, I'm sure you guys want to hear about what we're watching, what's keeping us sane these days, because it's been a while since we've done an episode like this. I think we did like two or three last season. This is our first one. Maybe your only one. I don't know. Let's see how it goes. Um, uh, uh, Rod, I wanted to ask you, what are you watching these days, buddy? What am I watching? What am I not watching? I guess more like uh, I've been watching a lot. I narrowed it down to like some interesting picks. I do think that, unfortunately, in terms of like the movie stuff, I haven't seen again because I also back ended my movies like in the terms of the last year. I saw most of the ones that are like in conversation now. Sure. It's been a yeah. while since I've seen a good movie. I did see two, uh, both of them on Netflix. One of them is Without Saying Goodbye. This is a movie that is set in Peru. So if you've ever said like, oh, I think I would love to go see Peru. I think you should check this movie out because then you'll get a good sense of like what the country looks like. It is not without controversy. I would say um it's also something that is, is I think, almost true of us in Canada, too. But it's like uh, movies 
it's almost like a technology, right? And Hollywood has advanced their technology through 60 years or so. And that goes to every part of it, even like the storytelling, I think, techniques and so on. And I find often that other countries are years behind. And so when you go into some of these movies, especially like this one, this is like a story that I've seen already. It's not doing anything new. Um, it's not bad per se. It's comfortable. It's just safe. You know, it's like it's new for them as in like, you know, the, the people that there are, they're excited that they've made a, a movie that is perhaps not at the Hollywood level, but it is at like a very high level. And so these are the things that they're exploring in terms of like, you know, they're working out their kinks in terms of like their writing, storytelling and so on. And so you can see kind of those those pieces, especially because I've seen a lot of Peruvian movies. And so you can kind of <laughs> see how they're improving but at the same time, it's like when I'm recommending this to somebody who's a lot of comfort and a lot of like familiarity with Hollywood movies, like this is not nothing that's going to uh, blow your mind. But I would say, especially for people that uh, miss traveling, I think this this does a good job at showing how beautiful Peru is as a country. And so, uh, yeah, I would definitely say that you should check it out. Um, I was going to mention that it's not without its controversy because, again, they found like the whitest Peruvian woman possible. Uh, to tell this Peruvian story, and so that in itself has some some controversy back in in the homeland. But um, what what was the name of that movie again? I just want to. Stir. I pulled up the poster without saying goodbye. No, say it in Peruvian or Spanish. And what is it in Spanish? Let me see. Hasta que no, no, I'm not gonna. No. Hasta que. Hasta que nos volvamos. Hasta que nos volvamos a ver. I really hope that my hola translation ad ran right before this segment, just to like really contrast. It. <laughs> Hasta que nos volvamos. Hasta que nos volvamos a encontrar. That's what it is. Sorry. Wow. Hasta que nos volvamos a encontrar I mean, without saying goodbye. Am I in a Pedro Almodovar movie? I right mean, now? that would have a little bit more of the teteo, which is like that little uh, s sound. God, I hate uh, you. <laughs> anyways, you know, if you if you've uh, been trapped in your house. COVID, not able to travel, and you're the kind of person that wants to see it, or you've been like, hey, I feel like I'd love to check out Peru. Watch this movie first. If you like the beauty of it, I think you would really love seeing Peru in person. Rodrigo, can I ask you a quick question? Nice. Looking at your, your letterboxed. Yeah. Uh, first off, is your letterboxed up to date? Is it <laughs> accurate? No, it is not. Okay. I guess that's the <laughs> that's where my questions end, because I was going to say, you didn't see a single movie in February, uh, but... Not too far behind, but like I would say, yeah, I... I, I like, well, typically I'm like a week behind, but I would say I've been really busy because um, I, I, I guess I've seen the Batman. Did I log that or no? You did log that. And then did I log Turning Red? Nope. Oh, OK. So there you go. This is so. I try to log like within like an hour of seeing something, but also I'm not writing reviews as much. I just like to get my like star rating and get the time. Otherwise, I'm going to forget if I wait longer than a day. Mm -hmm. What have you been watching, Ref? I have just finished uh mike flanagan's midnight mass this came out last year is this like the series of shows that uh has like that hot sheriff guy that's like a brown dude or is this something else uh it, you know yes there is a um uh brown sheriff in this movie <laughs> uh in this miniseries actually but mike flanagan has a ton of um miniseries on netflix uh they call it the haunting anthology so there's a haunting of Hill House. There's a haunting of Bly Manor. Is this like a haunting cinematic universe or are they just like independent fun stories? So I think the, the first two hauntings are based on books, right? I think one's like the turning of the shrew, right? Um, and I think the haunting of Hill House is a book. Midnight Mass is an original piece. So I was pretty excited to um, find something that doesn't 
resemble a novel. And it's funny because I don't know what I was expecting mm-hmm. because it feels like a novel, right? But anyway, it's um, it stars Hamish Linklater and Zach Guilford from Friday. Yeah, from, you know uh, Hamish? The New Adventures of Old Christine. Yeah, he's the brother of Old Christine. But um, no, I, this is a, uh, a I, I want to call it like a thriller and a drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but it, I mean, it has, it's not scary. I mean, when, when people think of Mike Flanagan and the haunting film and the haunting series is everyone's like, there's jump scares. There's not. Right. And I feel like there's a lot that go into, um, into every episode of my net mass. Um, it's basically about, um, a black sheep of a family coming home to this, to his family. And they live on a pretty secluded island mm-hmm. with 120 people in it. Right. Um, and they're, uh, everyone there is Catholic, people? except the, except the, what the is share. the level of inbreeding on this island at 120? Like at this point you have to be dating your, your cousins and first cousins, and second cousins. <laughs> Bruh. I mean, <laughs> we, we don't get into that into this story, but, um, uh, I, I would say 119 or 118 of those residents are Catholic, except the, um, the Muslim, um, uh, sheriff, right? Um, uh, but this this drama deals with faith. There's crisis of faith because a new priest comes to them to the congregation, I guess, and uh, shakes stuff up in the island. So I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, I you know, I'm kind of skipping around the, some of the major plot points because it's super interesting. There's a big mystery, and it's only seven episodes. Mm-hmm. Like I binged it over a weekend, and um, but you're kind of a suspense person, right? Like you like a little bit of of tension. Like it's- yeah, I, I I like that, and I, you know what? I like series that are scary, but it it's not like I'm trying to think of something that's like it is. This is not like jump scare. This is more like unnerving psychological horror. No. Yes, exact, exact. Mm-hmm. I would, I wouldn't even go like psychological, but I mean, there are moments where it's just like, mm-hmm. holy crap, I feel so uncomfortable. There are moments where I'm just like, my, like, I, I was watching with my wife, and then there are a couple times where Polina would just be like, my wife, no, <laughs> where Polina would just be like, <gasps> you know, like we would have these big gasp moments. So we really enjoyed it. I've heard really good things about this. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Uh, Red Letter Media did a video uh, late last year about it, and they spent pretty much that whole time just kind of gushing about like it was very unexpected. It like really took it. the The idea of it taking its time is what stuck um, stood out to me about it. That like, right for seven episodes too. I mean, there were some. Epi- I mean, each episode is about an hour. But for seven episodes, it really builds slowly, slowly. There are some moments where it's like, wow, you really went there this this fast, right? But it slows down. And it, I, I feel like its pace was very deliberate. And it yeah. reads like a novel, right? So um, I'd be excited to chat with you guys about it, uh, maybe in a future episode, because there's something I want to bring up, because it may be a future hot take. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's the biggest one I've been kind of listening to. My interaction with uh, with this series is the fact that the algorithm for TikTok has decided that I need to see this hot Muslim sheriff from this show. <laughs> and he, the algorithm was not wrong. I did enjoy that interaction of seeing him, but I have not explored the show yet. <laughs> the algorithm is never wrong. <laughs> uh, you should see it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, what are you watching, buddy? Uh, something I've been watching is the latest season of uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel. The wait, latest as in as in like they just came out recently. Am I behind already? You might be. <gasps> yeah, there's a yeah, new I season. Think, I think it's going week to week too, isn't it? Or is the whole thing already out? 
Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's so exciting. Okay, never mind. Continue. Sorry to interrupt you. So for our listeners, we have this like Google Doc that we can see what everyone's typing. And then this man, Jordan, has number one, Belfast, <laughs> erases it halfway through. All right. So spoilers for what I'm going to talk about later. I, I'm going to get to Belfast. I just wanted to. I just thought, I don't know. A good, uh, yeah, we were That's talking okay, TV. Man. That's okay. Um, you did the right thing. Yeah, I, I've been enjoying that. I don't know. So uh, it sounds like, Rodrigo, you've seen a little bit of this show yeah the, the um, last season i mean again i hope i'm not spoiling it for you but the last season that i saw ended with uh the 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 manager and some money issues i don't know if that's did it end so, with a dramatic um, like i think they were about to, to like, board on a plane i think and uh i think the manager reveals and confesses that she's lost the money yeah you're i think you're that's the, the end of the previous season anyway the new season's been fun i think it, the show is really taking its time and I've been enjoying it as just like a, a per episode to episode, um, you know, hang out with these characters. It's not as much about like the overall drama and like the season wide plot. It is a serialized show though, right? Yeah, no, it is. It is serialized. There is a, and there is an overall plot to the season. I think it's just more like it, maybe it's almost like that there is, there is a plot to the season and all the characters are going to move within that one arc throughout the season. Um, but it's, you know, it's not like things right. are going to be changing so quickly episode to episode and things are going to evolve like, um, so it's fine. I think, uh, so my, my wife, uh, I'm doing it too. My <laughs> wife, my wife, um, <laughs> she, she was a big fan of the other shows, uh, by the same creator and writer team. So Gilmore girls, um, Bunheads, I think is another one they did anyway. Uh, she's been appreciating the idea of it just being like, like Gilmore girls, like each season has a bit of an arc. But within that, it's just like, it's no big deal. It's fun. It's hanging. Like you can hang out, you can watch it. And I don't know, the production value on the show is still really good. The performances are all still great. Like, sure. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I guess there's not too much to say about it other than like, it's a fun watch. I always wonder, I enjoy it. And then I wonder, is this okay in the sense that Rachel, what is it? Rachel Brosnahan, she plays an incredibly Jewish woman. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, why you know, like, she's not Jewish. She's not Jewish, right? So, is this is this a problem? I guess I, I'm not part of the Jewish community. If you are a Jewish listener, let us know what you think about the fact because that, that always stands out to me. Yeah, and I have heard people. I don't know. There was an interesting news story that um, did one of you post that Andrew Garfield had a quote about. Oh yeah, that if like if we limit who people can play, it be like the death of imagination or something to that. Extent, yeah, like right? he had a, and he he think he had a decent take on that, and I don't want to necessarily hundred percent say it like I fully agree or fully disagree or whatever, but I think there's a, a world where this um, Rachel can play a Jewish person and not be Jewish, but it, it's definitely something to talk about. Generally, right? I would agree, but it's like in this character in particular, uh, it's a stand-up comedian. I don't know if people are not familiar with the premise of this show. Uh, she's really funny, but a lot of her humor is also based on her Jewishness. Like that, that is like a lot of the whole comedy of the show is based on there. Yeah. yeah. And so it involves her do like imitating people's like, you know, uh, Jewish people's voices and, you know, talking about Jewish things. And it's like it reminds me a lot of the Seinfeld episode where his dentist turns into turns to Judaism for the jokes. And then they ask Seinfeld, does this offend you as a Jewish person? It's like, no, it offends me as a comedian or whatever. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's like and that's the part that always gets me. I watch and I really enjoy the show. But then I'm like. Is like, why did they, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm not Jewish, so maybe I shouldn't be taking offense for other people. I am also not Jewish and I am open to hearing about people's offense. So anyway, that show has been fine. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll let one of you take it. I think Rodrigo, it's back to you, isn't it? Yeah, you know what? You know what I've been watching and loving, and I will uh, admit that it started out really slow. And this is absolute homosexual culture. Like, I don't expect either of you guys to co-sign on this, but The Gilded <laughs> Age. Uh, it is a show by Julian Fellows, who's the creator of Downton Abbey. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but it's yes. all, it's it's uh, it's an American version of kind of that same uh, era and so on. And, and it's interesting because like one of the the main differences I would say between American. Uh, Gilded Age and Downton Abbey is that there is a lot more closeness, I think, or like you can see kind of some of these barriers breaking down between like the lower class and the upper class people, um, be, like say between servants and uh, and like the people that have the money, right? So the bigger conflict in the Gilded Age is between old money and new money. So people that were, I guess, like, I don't know, we had money from wherever they came from and people that are now getting money as like the U.S. is going through this like revolutionary era and people, you know, train uh barons and so on so um the the, it's it's very similar in tone and that i think it started out a lot slower um downton abbey for those who may not know starts off with the crash or i guess i don't know sinking of the titanic and uh you know cousin mary then finds out that she will no longer be inheriting downton abbey or so on uh this one doesn't have like a big hook in the beginning but as it builds up it's been getting like I I could tell that I've been really getting into it because at the end one of the character is about to marry somebody else the two characters are about to marry and I was like literally like at the edge of my seat thinking like is she going to do it is she going to do it is she going to do it and then I'm realizing like this show is literally about so like such small stakes but I'm so invested in it um basically every actor that has ever been like a cool Broadway actor in New York is in this show. Um, it's Bransky, right? Yeah, Bransky, uh, Donna Murphy, Nathan Lane, Audra McDonald. Like, like you can go on and on. Uh, also, you know, for just like that fans, uh, or rather non fans, not Che Diaz, but um, Cynthia Nixon is also in this. Uh, the, the, the main character who's actually kind of on the weaker side is the daughter of Meryl Streep. So there's like all, like, you know, clearly people wanted to attach themselves to this project. I think, again, it's a slow start, not as exciting as the beginning of Downton Abbey, but very quickly it finds its pacing. And uh, Carrie Coon, sorry, that is, how did I not mention that? Carrie Coon. I was going to be like, what? Yeah, Where is she, she? she's the Come lead. I was, she's the, basically the, the other lead protagonist. Um, and she's like the old she's the new money trying to find her way into the society. Um, anyways, I found out today, thanks to Raph, that it's been renewed. And so I'm very excited to, to give an endorse for this one. Uh, yeah, but again, it's like I also just like love seeing people in gowns. That is not something that is applicable to everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> I have been waiting to hop onto this because uh, I heard mixed sort of things at the front. I yeah, same. I'm a big Downton Abbey f- uh, fan. Uh, I mean, I, that's not fair. I'm not a big fan. I watched the show and I liked it. I I've seen the show. I watched <laughs> the movie, like, and I think really? actually I think I might have fallen off the last like season or two of the show. Uh, probably right around the same time a lot of people do. Uh, death of a big important character spoilers for downton abbey yeah, anyway that's like season three though buddy i don't know if that that's the one that you mean uh i don't know i think i watched <laughs> like a season or so after that i just mean like yeah. mentally i checked out after that point mm-hmm. uh but i am excited to check this out and i have to ask is the like how are the effects is the is just i imagine there's a lot of green screen in the show do you notice it a lot i didn't actually i thought it felt a lot like physical sets um okay I'm guessing here's the thing too. A lot mm-hmm. of the, the, the action good. takes place in like big rooms. Like it's yeah. not like particularly challenging to but find. But they do, they do kind of swing like Downton Abbey was set on a, 
Like they probably didn't have to do any green screen because it was just on an English manner. You- I'm guessing that they did something similar that they found uh, some old house from that era in New York. And that right. They- but they still try to do like the shots of the New York skyline at the turn of the century and stuff like that. Right. A lot of it is set on this like street, like where this uh, new money house is uh, across from the old money house. So I don't know if like they just built that one street, perhaps. I don't know. It's like, like again, a lot of the action takes place in, in rooms. So this is kind of a tangent. I don't know what's wrong with me lately. I can't stop just being hyper aware of like bad green screen and TV shows. Uh, it was most noticeable to me watching the second season of The Great. And I like that show a lot. The performances are really good. But like there's just some shots where I'm just the entire time I'm like they're on a green screen. And then the reverse shot is a green screen. And that person isn't there. And like, I don't know, maybe oh, no. I just... Maybe I should just stop. I'm like that, but with people with wigs and not like, say, this era, <laughs> like th- this era that they obviously do a lot of wig work. Right. But it's just like, you know, how you can tell that they do a reshoot and that person had cut their hair. So they gave them mm-hmm. a wig. But it's like a particularly noticeable wig that is not the same as the wig they were doing before. Like, that's my obsession. Looking at looking for actors that had to you know put on a wig for a reshoot. We all have our movie ticks. Speaking of uh, green screen, did you guys hear about that? Um, I think. Spider-Man No Way Home just came mm-hmm. came out on digital or it's coming out on digital. And then there was an article that came out praising the green screen used on Flash Thompson, who is, who's played by mm-hmm. Tony Rivoli, Rivoli yeah. from uh, Grand Budapest <gasps> Hotel. Oh my God, that's him. I just put those two together. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> yeah, man. <laughs> what? But anyway, um, the scene in the Spider-Man No Way Home where he gets, I think, a phone call and he's at, at the college mixer. That entire sequence is green screen. Like, but that's also like my pet peeve. Why green screen that? You can't fucking get him on a set with extras. That's not even a challenge. Right? Sometimes the people are like with Marvel movies. They're like, you know, that you could tell the green screen when they were going through space. It's like, well, here's the thing, buddy. They can't go through space. You know, you know, it's like, oh, like that's something that we kind of have to deal with. But like green screening, like for a room, this is like we're exceeding the level of green screening that we should be doing. I think that's the yeah, I think that's the future of movies. The future of movies is every single thing is going to be shot on a green no. screen and actors are just going to be dropped anywhere they want. So what's the so point? So if a producer says this whole scene should take place at night now, uh, yeah, like yeah, they yeah. can do it. Um, I'll do another round of uh, stuff that I'm watching right now. So I'm going to, uh, two recent films I've seen is a movie called Fresh with Sebastian Stan and Daisy Edgar Jones, which premiered at Sundance um, and another film by Ty, T, Ty, I think it's Ty, Ty West. Mm-hmm. And he did a film called X. Um, um, now Fresh is kind of this, weird drama horror film um, about a girl that, you know, just uh, is trying to find a date right on Tinder and then runs into Sebastian Stan. Who's like the perfect guy. Turns out he's a serial killer. (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, she gets imprisoned. And for a movie that's two hours long, Holy crap, this movie needed to be like an hour and 15 minutes. I was going to say, I heard, I think that's what you were about to address that, like, like Drive My Car, it has a, a long, right? Like a long intro credit. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's, I think the intro comes maybe 20 minutes in and it, it's cool. Like it, it's the needle drop. But the problem is that's when stuff start, stops getting interesting because the lead up to that moment of the reveal um, uh, is fantastic. And then five minutes after the opening credits, you're just like, okay, what's next? And then it g- keeps going for another 40 minutes and then an hour. And then the finale is a little bit anticlimactic. Like there's this character that's coming to save them. 
And then he's like, oh, uh, where are they? And then he drives off. And I'm just like, what happened? What? What? Like, <laughs> what was that about? Right. Um, so Fresh wasn't the greatest. Um, I've uh, X, though, with Kid Cudi, Britney Snow and Mia Goth. This was a really interesting film that kind of I think the best way to look at it, it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But with porn, wait, right? It, but with it's porn, a as in, small in crew. Is, does the porn substitute in? A, <laughs> he's asking, is it a porno movie or is it a movie about porno? Is it like the porn <laughs> industry and somebody's no, killing no. people? I mean, uh, okay, exactly. So, I mean, the, um, uh, a group of uh, amateur filmmakers um, decide to shoot a porno at this ranch, right? Um, turns out they've upset the owners of that ranch and shit goes crazy, right? But this film goes places I didn't expect it to go. I just thought, okay, these guys, these old creepy people just don't like these younger guys. But there was some psychosexual tension that was really there and it it made me very uneasy, right? And uh, it takes a while to build, but Mia Goth was fantastic. She plays dual roles in the film. It was great. I think this was a fantastic film. What if I what if I was like, speaking of porn, you know what I've been watching and then just like listed the variety of <laughs> the content <laughs> the that I've been consuming. <laughs> well, you know what? There's definitely going to be a porn parody of this film. I mean, if not already for the Texas Tron Chainsaw Massacre. There has Massacre, to be a Texas right? Chainsaw Chains um, Massacre I, I, where the Texas is three X's. For you know, sure. Like Texas Chainsaw oh. Massacre. I hate Asaker, you so much. Maybe. No, <laughs> Bruh, here we go. Um, but yeah, those are two recent films I saw. Um, one was good. The other one was better. But yeah, I don't know. I also started watching Winning Time from HBO, but it's okay. I mean, John C. Riley's great. Oh, this is the, the breakup, right? The, the breakup one where Adam McKay <laughs> told Will Ferrell, recasted Will Ferrell without mm-hmm. telling him uh, with his best friend. And uh it's good. I mean, I'm a basketball fan, so it's kind of interesting uh, to see this. I guess it's a story. I don't. I'm not a basketball fan, but I'm guessing it's telling a specific story, right? Like, do you know this story already? Like, kind. Of- yeah. I mean, I I know the storylines behind it, where it's like you know the rise of Magic mm-hmm. Johnson and his integration in the Lakers. I didn't know Jerry West was such a big asshole, which is a coach. Does it explore his HIV status? That's an opening scene. Damn. Yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, they're tackling this right away, right? But um, I haven't continued it yet. I'm sure they will to go into detail about it. But the opening scene is uh, Dr. J. Uh, Dr. J? No, Magic Johnson. It's Dr. J? Anyway, um, at the uh, at the, the doctor's office finding yeah. out, right? So pretty intense. Jordan, what about you, buddy? What's your, what's your last bit? Oh, we're already on our last bit, eh? <laughs> well, I, last night um, I watched Belfast. Uh, which is up for best picture. Have both of you watched Belfast? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So you've watched it, talked about it last year. Don't my, care anymore. My issue is Katrina Balf not getting nominated and Judy Dench getting the nomination. But anyway. Oh, I really liked, I'm not hitting on anything because I don't care about Oscars, yeah, exactly. but I will say that <laughs> I really like this movie. I, um, it felt, this is a weird criticism or not a criticism of, a good point because I'm usually the person who's like this movie should be shorter. This movie was short mm-hmm. and it short. felt it felt long in a good way. Like it, I kept thinking like, oh, only an hour and a half. Like it's going to have to be like breezing through everything, right? But it wasn't. It felt like it could really take its time. I <laughs> really liked the, how long the scenes took. I liked the yeah. character moments. Uh, I don't know. It felt like one of those. 
it ended and I was like, that's it. That's five star movie. And oh. like, uh, oh, no, wow. no, like, I mean, like it ended in like, I just was like, I don't have anything bad to say about this. Like, right. I don't know. I spent yeah, like the last 20 minutes with like tears in my eyes at this movie. What? It was just like I, I very was, effective in, for me. The same. I agree. I thought it was incredibly effective. I thought it was incredibly efficient. Like, you know, the, the, the time jumping in at like 90 something minutes is mm-hmm. perfection. I, I for think, you. Yeah, for sure. I think, <laughs> um, the, the, like the, the acting not not that it's bad right? but it's like i couldn't like nobody kind of was like oh i need this person to win an award throughout but i think like the movie itself like the direction uh beautiful i think like the sound too like the sound design the was pretty where, good where, where there was like explosions the riots and stuff. yeah yeah i think that was uh, the everlasting love man that was a great sequence i wish that sequence was a little bit longer because mm-hmm. it was the most fun right and the most emotional outside of katrina balf like crying on the on the bus but anyway yeah kenneth I'm going to get his name wrong. Brana. Brana. <laughs> he is an interesting director, isn't he? I mean, oh, like yeah. he's got some real highs and some real lows. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he's a I, sir. So I, I guess oh. he's, he's, he can get away with it. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, like, I was going to, I was almost going to make a joke about like, oh, maybe in England, we don't respect the queen here. And then I remembered <laughs> that I'm a Canadian citizen and am we one of her. Yeah. She is, <laughs> she is my queen as well, <laughs> whether I like it or not. Um, it almost made me want to go back and like, are there other uh, Kenneth movies? The Sir Kenneth, I'm not even going to try to say his last name. Sir <laughs> Kenneth movies that I should go back and recheck, like check out again, like uh, 2011's Thor. You know, is that a is that a hidden gem in early of the? Not, buddy. I like how I go right to the Marvel movie instead of like the all the other movies that. Uh, yeah, I would. I will say though, Thor is a bad movie. I would say the Murder on the Orient Express is a worse movie. Whoa! I, I remember liking really? Thor when I saw it. Like, did you guys not like the, the first Thor movie? The first Thor movie? No, I absolutely hate the first Thor movie. So oh, that wow. means you hated Murder Orient Express more. Yeah, I didn't like it. Buddy, I, like I also don't like the other uh, Poro. Oh, uh, uh, you don't like Poro in general? Uh. No, no, I love Poro. It's just that I've seen like all these. Like, first of all, this this uh, Murder on the Orient Express. There's like four versions of this already that you can watch. <laughs> That's true. You know, Fair like, enough. You're, you're yes. kind of batting against yourself at this point. It's like remaking the the Lady Gaga movie. What's it called? Uh, what? The one where she sings uh, a song with Bradley Cooper that's also like a remake. Star is Born. Star is Born. Star is Born. You know, it's like at this point, if you're going to do that one again, it's like, who cares, right? So that's kind of how I feel about some of those. Um, but, you know, with, with Kenneth Branagh, I think like my favorite thing is like, why did he play Gilderoy Lockhart? Like, wh- where did that instinct come from? He does well, right? But it's just like, where? why did he choose? Like, I really need to play. Anyways, Gilderoy Lockhart, uh, uh, interesting choice that he decided that he needed to play that role. You know, that's a really wise point, Rodrigo. Instead of trying to watch movies, <laughs> movies I'm just going to go rewatch Chamber of Secrets. That's all I really need. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'll say that Belfast. And oh, I wanted to ask, like, did we want to chat um, Turning Red at all? I think we've all seen the new Pixar movie, not, Turning I've Red. I've not seen it yet. No. Okay, well, we'll put a pin on that. But it, I think it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. It was probably one of the most just pure joy Pixar movies I've seen in a oh, while. Wow. That's mm-hmm. Although that's not necessarily true. Luca was kind of in the same camp. Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I have nothing negative to say about I think it. It's, like, it's part of this kind of new era of Disney and Pixar where like they are reinterpreting what it means to be like a child facing adversity, um, you know, like and where that adversity comes from. Um, I, I, 
I think it's like a little bit simple. It reminded me a little bit of of the Good Dinosaur, which is like another Pixar movie that it's like it's not. I, I didn't find it bad. It's just like kind of simple, you know. Not it's a small story. Yeah, it's a small yeah. story. And I, but I do think like I'm also again 35, and I've processed a lot of like you know um, not issues, but like you know complicated uh, dynamics that I've had with like family in the past, and I've done a good job of being coming out on the other side of this. But it does make me think like kids that get to watch these movies now and see that, you know, some of this is more complex than just always uh, listening to elders in your family, that sometimes you do have to stand up for yourself or you have to figure out like what it, what it means to you to be, to be who you are. Right. And I think it's, it's valuable. Like in that sense, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of what, what, what does the, the perspective of me an old cynical man matter in a, in, in like, a film that will change the lives of children, right? Like, it's like, like, I'm not going to sit here and pontificate. It's like, you know, the writing could have been like a little bit sharper, like, but I, I enjoyed it. And I think, I think Toronto was great. I my only note again for, for the writer would be like, how do you have like a, a a giant, um, like creature and the CN tower and not have them like King Kong their way up to (laughs) the, the, the lands, like the iconic, I wonder if there was like a straight up like you can have the CN Tower represented, but like it, you can't yeah, have the- you can't have you can't do that. It <laughs> was just, when, red pandas are climbers too, so it's like it would have made sense. It, actually, in the credits of that, because the Sky Dome is featured prominently in the ending of the yeah. movie, and it's and called the Sky Dome because it yeah. is two thousand and two. Oh wow! And yeah, and it's fun. But then I was like, oh, I wonder if they had to get permission. And then in the credits, they do credit Rogers and the Roger Center and <laughs> Sky Dome, and then it made me think like our. Are buildings copyright like <laughs> and yeah yeah they are copyright if you depict a building like it's depicting the art of that, right. that building uh which is kind of fun but so i have to ask is this the the most essential toronto movie no i think I don't, uh, scott what's pilgrim more essential but, yeah scott pilgrim be, right yeah it's sure. probably still scott pilgrim or um i'm trying to think of something else but no i think what if there's a film called what if with daniel Danny Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan. Is the Sarah Polly and Seth Rogen movie set in Toronto or is it just filmed in Toronto? What was that? In Toronto. I think it's called um, Take This Waltz? Question mark? Yeah, Take This Waltz. Hmm. I would say this movie is up there on the list. It like It's probably the inessential uh, like teenager, preteen, early teen Toronto movie. Maybe it's not an essential Toronto movie to us because we're an older generation. But we're... Funny enough, the exact right age as the director, where we were mm-hmm. pretty much the, you know, we were th- what I was 11 or 12 in 2002, and the character right. was 13 in 2002. So it lines up that Is way. Is the director our age? I believe Probably. so. I actually, Rodrigo, what you were saying is funny about how, like, between this and Encanto, Disney is really doing a good job of like these directors and writers in their thirties and forties who have been in like, you know, millennials embracing therapy. And we're almost like paying those therapy dues down to the next generation (laughs) where they're like, Hey, what if you kids figured this stuff out when you were like eight years old, you got these lessons and like, yeah, I want to see what the movies those eight year olds are going to be making when they're 30. And they're like, (laughs) um, I wanted to, I, I know we're, we're looking at a ton of films, but um, I kind of wanted to wrap this up with one last thing. I know, Rod, you had a couple there, but we'll get to it another time as long as you're okay with that. Um, I wanted to bring up the the last batch of presenters that were announced for the Oscars. Okay, I, I know. I bring this up all the time. I'm more the Oscar guy. And Jordan, you're probably rolling your eyes. You're probably like, I hope you go underwater again, Raph. But anyway, <laughs> listen. DJ Khaled 
um, Tony Hawk, Kelly Slater, and Sean White, among others, right? And H and R. Oh, is that H and R? H and R block. Oh, H. <laughs> it's her. H and R block. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. The like, entity. <laughs> That's what I want to see at the Oscars. Enough with these celebrities and athletes. They need corporate entities. Not, no human, no face, just like a machine rolls up and H and R block me presents. Thinking uh, the E is an ant, uh, is a um, uh, ampersand. <laughs> <laughs> but can we talk about DJ Khaled being invited to the Oscars and not Rachel Zegler? Another one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because it's like, they're not even the top of their field. I don't understand what's happening. Like, what is the connection to the Oscars? <laughs> Kelly like, Slater and like Sean Kelly White, Slater, too. Like, again, Sean, well, Sean White at White, least was sure. recently at the yeah. Olympics. Like, I mean, yeah, I think I, I can answer. I can definitely answer your question. The connection to the Oscars is that Hollywood is desperate. And oh, Hollywood sure. is wants the ratings they want those but ratings that they this got is, well this is what i'm saying Circa 2002 bring ratings i feel like you can get better ratings pull people you know like kanye doesn't want to go to this like pete davidson kim kardashian probably will go to this like why are you pulling Zelensky? Like, bring Zelensky. it's not even <laughs> cool people it's just random people they're, maybe they're, the oscars or, isn't cool and they can't convince the cool people to there's no way there's like there's a tension whores from every like you know uh uh, part of the entertainment business, they could definitely find people to fill in those people that there must be some connection that we will understand during the ceremony. It's gonna be it's, horrible though, where it's like to uh, I don't know, introduce this clip from Jackass, like let's bring in Sean White or something. I don't know, like you know what I mean? Like it, it has to be something that is like makes more sense. But Jackass at the Oscars, I think Bruh. my prediction is at this rate, next year's award ceremony is going to be. Uh, broadcast on Twitch and you'll have no. to watch it through VR goggles and it's going to be all from the perspective of the host. So you Martin watch Scorsese the entire show with them right staring now. out at the, <laughs> at, at the screen. Um, yeah, that's my guess. That yeah, sounds fun. It's going to be in the metaverse. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to bring up before I end this week's episode is, uh, so we have a layered butter podcast, um, uh, WhatsApp group. Oh, and then we have a layered butter podcast. Uh, yes. We're currently yes, starting yeah. it. <laughs> uh, and then I, I dropped a story. I dropped a story um, for Jordan and Rod to read. And then Rod just replies, does Hollywood have a lobotomy this problem? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> Unless you're not privy to this on here. <laughs> who are the decision makers right now in Hollywood? Like, who are the PR people? Like, none of this is particularly surprising to see the backlash to. So how do they have jobs and I do not hire me? I will be your PR person. I will tell you no to every bad idea you have. Not this. <laughs> not Rodrigo um, uh, putting his LinkedIn out there. For anyway, sure. The most uh, thing ever. Okay, <laughs> folks, um, uh, well, that wraps up our little catch up for this week. Uh, when we come back, we'll just wrap it up with some hot takes. We'll be right back. The Layered Butter Podcast is brought to you by Red Squirrel Tail. To learn more about them, let's hear from the founder. Hi, I'm Allison, and I create handmade needle felt animals under the name Red Squirrel Tail. I make custom dogs, cats, and woodland creatures like chipmunks, squirrels, and birds. I create ornaments and handmade wreaths inspired by nature and wildlife. If you're looking for a thoughtful handmade gift any time of year, visit my website at redsquirreltail.com. And we're back. Usually we do 
film club right now, but we gave you a ton of films to go and watch. So hopefully you'll jump on that. Um, uh, I know we are now at the Rodrigo section of the um, podcast where we drop some hot takes. I'm going to begin because Rod dropped a few already. Um, so today, which is the 22nd, uh, HBO announced that they renewed and just like that, which is a Sex and the City spinoff, which was destroyed right in in terms of reviews mm-hmm. i'm sure the viewership was pretty high but this was something that i thought was dead in the water and i was a casual i was when i mean casual i mean the super most casual viewer where my wife left it on the tv and i was like working on something and i was just hearing this madness um going on with che diaz and cynthia nixon and all of that whatever here's my thing And I'm surprised they renewed it because my conspiracy theory is HBO does not want to lose the sex in the city name and IP. So they, and, and I think they were about to cancel it, but Sarah Jessica Parker wanted more. She was going to go somewhere else, pitch it somewhere else and then continue it there under a different name. So I think, and I don't know if this is true or not because Rod, I I know you watch it, right? But I feel like like that. Bruh. <laughs> but I my, my shame my shame in life right now is that I've watched every episode of that show. But continue. But I, I just feel like HBO kind of shame renewed it or, or they felt horrible doing it, but they had to do it in fear of losing um this IP or this entity that they've they've grown and they've built for years. I mean it's it's I don't want to call it it's like Sopranos level, you know, um uh legacy. But Sex in the City was their icon also back in the early 2000s too, right? So yeah. I feel like they renewed it just because of that and not mm-hmm. because the viewers want more because the viewers don't. So you remember viewers and critics are not the same because you were pretty much like, oh, I watched every episode of this and so did Rodrigo, I, I, but we didn't I've like learned. it. Like, yeah, it, I mean, I'm seeing a, an article here that it was a ratings hit, like because it's sex in the city. So people are going to watch it. But I mean, I feel like my mom hated it. Uh, my, my wife didn't like it. Rodrigo, did you like it? I don't even know if I should. Oh no! Don't can <laughs> Maybe the reason to do a second season is to like not have the last Sex in the City thing that they created be like leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Like, but but the issue with that is that where it ended is almost like you rescued enough of it that like maybe you should just stop there because uh, you know for people that don't know Samantha, which was one of the more iconic characters of Sex in the City, uh, didn't return, and it was like a big thing about like they, they made up a reason. First of all writers of this room. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> why do you have, why do you feel the need to over explain things and to the point where you create like an unrealistic expectation of like Samantha, who is best friends with Carrie, the lead character, uh, gets angry that she is fired from as a publicist uh, for the book because the book business is, is slowing down. Uh, she had more, cu- she had more clients. Anyway, she gets so angry that she gets fired that she leaves the fucking UK and doesn't talk to Carrie anymore, which was already, you could have just said, yeah, she moved to the UK. We chat all the time. Or just don't then, say anything sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Know. You know, so the, like less would have been more with that. But anyway, the, 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 the show, the biggest issue with the show was that it tried to tackle with all the legacy issues that the original Sex <laughs> in the City did. But it pretended that these women have been like cryogenically frozen for like the 10, 20 years in the middle of that gap. It is like they did not fucking exist in those years in the middle. And so 
it's been 20 years or so since the, the last time we saw them, but now they are like all of a sudden learning about like they them pronouns about like, you know, uh, like all these other issues, not issues, like, you know, circumstances of our times. But it's like they would have existed in the years that we've seen this come to fruition. Right. It's right. like the, the, the character, Cynthia Nixon, uh, she, she's just kind of learning how to manage like uh, racial relationships in this new times. She's a smart lawyer. Like she goes to it, it's like a caricature of who they were. And it's all because they want to address all these like injustices of the past where it was like a show about four white women in very white circles of New York. That's just not realistic. At one point, they have Carrie Bradshaw in like a fucking sari for I think it was like either a Diwali celebration Bruh. or something. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, this is like going all the way to the other all, all side. Anyways, despite all of that, it actually somewhat managed to, to, to find a good spot to finish things up. Um, you know, the, the, and where it wrapped up, it kind of like made things look sweet into the ending between Samantha and Carrie, um, you know, like the big story had wrapped up and so on. And it's like, that's where you, you could have not done more because you're not doing a good job. But now they're like, you know what, let's give it another try. And it's like, I don't even know. Like at this point, I'm not going to watch season two of this shit. I've done giving it too much time. with season one. No, buddy, you, you definitely will. I no, know I will you. only because it's like See? pop culture conversation, right? Like it's like every podcast. <laughs> All I right. It's to content. Is- it's content. <laughs> I don't have too much of an opinion on this. I just, I love, love, love that Rodrigo's opinion was so fiery that he just like, he, again, he, like you know, you had a you had a fire, and Rodrigo brought a flame. Like he just over overtook you there. Raph, I know that's I, what I mean. Like Raph was like this. Like sorry, yeah, uh, Raph, you you had like yeah, you came in with a hot take, and Rodrigo just came in with the sun. I, I, I did like, that strategically so that Rod can jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> Rod, what's your hot take, buddy? Do you have one? Yes, I do. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen where that the, the, there was a trailer release for where the Crawdads sing. Um, it is based on a book that, to be honest, it's not a very good book. It's just that it was part of Reese Witherspoon's book club and it became very, very popular. But the one redeeming thing, first of all, if you haven't read this book, I remember uh, going through it and I'm like, why is this writer obsessed with animals? Because every other fucking sentence is like, you know, she was like a fucking uh, shrimp that goes to the river, huh? blah, blah, blah. Or like the, 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 the similes and the metaphors are all very animal based and like the character loves animals. And I'm like, what is happening with this animal obsession? Anyways, the writer turned out to be a biologist and it reads like it's written by a biologist turned novel writer. Anyways, my, my, my hot take is that... Um, the the one redeeming feature that this book had is that kind of midway through, there's a mystery that then, you know, kind of carried forward to the second half to keep it interesting. The trailer reveals the mystery straight up. Like oh, in the good beginning. thing I did not watch it. Yeah. And so that takes away like half of the enjoyment. I guess it's like kind of hard to dance around like what would be the hook for people to go watch this movie without it. Sure. But that was like the one redeeming feature that the book had, like introducing that part. I guess it's like part of like the the prologue, but then later on it's explored much less. Um I mean, not not that uh, you'll see it in the trailers. Uh some but there's a character that dies. Um, but that's in the beginning of the book too, but it's just like more so the circumstances around his, like it's not really explained until the middle of it. And whereas like in this one straight up, you can see a lot of the key scenes there that are implying what is implied only later on in the book. Um, and I think it's like kind of important to not show that as you, I, I guess I don't know how this movie is going to be structured, but in the book, it's really important to not know that because then you start developing uh, relationships between these two characters independent of what happens later on. 
but straight up it's happening. So I don't know. I'm just saying like this book was barely worth exploring before. And now that you've kind of spoiled that part in the trailer, I really don't know What's the uh, point? beyond beyond the Taylor Swift song. That is like one of the, the hooks. Like, you know, like when you, you know that when the trailer shows you featuring song by Taylor Swift, it's like we need the Swifties to show up to this movie first <sighs> day for people to. <laughs> That's annoying. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not too excited about this one. Jordan. Take us home, buddy. Well, once again, I, my hot take isn't hot. It's just, you know, it's just a thought. Lukewarm. Um, <laughs> yeah, lukewarm take. A thought take. Um, it, it, I've been thinking about animation and the idea of like really in the past how, you know, we had live action films and we have animated films. So much to the point where like Oscars, which doesn't separate by category, does separate by animation. Does the category of animation mean anything in a modern world where so much of our quote unquote live action movies are going to be put together with CG anyway. I think a lot of people talked about this when like Avatar was up for best picture. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? 12 years ago now? Uh, you know, 12 years ago and one year in the future. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right in between the two mm-hmm. Avatar uh, <laughs> best picture nominations. And yeah, so like it, it, does it make sense to keep like, and it also, I think, does a lot to make people still think of animation as something that's like for kids or a yeah. different in a, right. like, style. Um, yeah, I don't it's know. Like Flea this year, right? Like it's competing against, I think, uh, Encanto, or, or am I wrong? Like or the Mitchell. It is, yeah, machine. yeah, for animated and it's film. Like, what are we doing? Like these are not similar things. And it, right? Flea is like a documentary, so like, should it have been in best documentary? Should it, it have been? It like, is too, it is. but but it's just like it's international, like right? Like too. what you're yeah. saying, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I would like to see, I mean, I would have liked to have seen a animated movie be in the the best picture. I mean, you could even argue Dune is live action, but Dune has a lot of quote unquote animations and animators doing stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I, we should see more animated movies because if you looked at all my letterbox scores, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of high rated animated movies and they just, I know that's just me. They work for me, but when was the last time a best picture was? I know um, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Is that still the last time? No, Spirited. Oh no, no, you're right. It was Beauty and the Beast for best picture. Um, and that was one. And what about like nominations? I think Sp- Spirited Away. Was it not? I'm looking. Um, oh, oh, Up. Okay. Up was nominated. Toy Story oh. three. And Toy Story three. Twenty ten. Mm. So Toy Story three in twenty ten. Twelve years ago. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of good animated movies since then. Oh wait, the oh no, this best international feature film. As we before we wrap up, I have an important question for both of you. Did uh-huh. you guys cry during Toy Story three? Yes, like uh, like waterfalls, buddy. Mm-hmm. It was intense. What about you, Jordan? I definitely. I remember seeing that in a movie theater. I was on mm-hmm. like a date with who is not my wife now. Well, sorry, bro. Oh, gosh. um, Yeah, it was weird. I I think I probably did cry, but it was probably like a silent, like misty-eyed animated movies. I think I've mentioned this before. People singing sincerely makes me tear up. Like, not even a sad situation in sight, just like opening song number, we're all singing sincerely. Oh, yeah. And like my eyes get misty, so. Mm -hmm. And yet Toy Story 3 barely got a tear out of you? No, I mean they were fucking I, holding hands, waiting for their death, Jordan, uh, and they're about to get incinerated. <laughs> I oh I do remember God. that. Uh, that's sad, but that's not as sad as the main character singing their like "I want" song, right? 
I mean, they all get to die together and be melted together into like a nice plastic cube and spend eternity in that. It's going to be us when we cancel the podcast. <laughs> Not when we get canceled because because it's a podcast. We can do this for as long as we want. It's when we when we choose to stop. When we decide this is over. Uh, and I think that's where we're going to end it. I think this is where we're going to um, uh, uh, say goodbye today. Um, this has uh, been the final episode of the Layered Thank Butter you. podcast. Thank you for listening. The podcast Bruh. is, we are on our way into the incinerator. <laughs> Uh, if only if only more of you had subscribed if, if more of you had subscribed on patreon <laughs> we wouldn't be ending now so thank you for listening it has been nice talking to you um as always <laughs> i actually feel like now this is really sad but anyway um uh you guys can find me uh, uh j rafael cordero on instagram or you can find me on letterbox and see my reviews rod where can we find you my friend uh you can find me at R Cockting, R C O K T I N G, on all social media platforms. And Jordan, where can we find you? I'm going to say I don't want you to find me if you can't find me yourself. So well, that's, that's the test for you. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to uh, create always... uh, a Where's Waldo type book, and it's just going to find Jordan every, every <laughs> one spot on every page and be like, find him. Um, thank you my friends for listening and uh, we'll catch you at our Oscar special next week can't wait Bye. bye